Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I have on the line our Editor-in-Chief on Women's Agenda, Tyler Lambert. How are you, Tyler? I am feeling good and after a pretty tumultuous week, how are you? Yes, I am feeling okay. Although I think we've had about four hours sleep combined between us. So we're doing okay to be doing this on a Friday afternoon. But uh, on today's episode, on today's episode, we do just want to run through some of the key stories that we've covered this week because it has been a big week. Um, so in the episode before this one, you'll find a discussion that I recently had with uh, Christina Ziwika and she uh, ran through um, a couple of stories that she's written around the uh, rape allegations that have occurred in, um, in, in Parliament, um, in the Liberal Party. Um, so we might touch a little bit on that today, but we'll mm. also be going through a lot of other stuff as well. So we'll get to it. Yeah, it's certainly been a big week. Okay, so Tyler, and we do want to be starting with uh, wins for women. <laughs> so I may have put you on the spot because I don't think I reminded you of this before we started. Uh, but do you have a particular win from the week? Uh, look, I think there's some good news that came out today with Margaret Zhang, who's just become Vogue's youngest ever editor-in-chief. Um, so that is really cool. She started a fashion blog when she was just 16. She was born in Sydney, um, and now she has become, yeah, the editor-in-chief of Vogue China. So um, that's a huge, huge appointment. Uh, and, it, and it's so nice as well to see, um, you know, more cultural diversity across mainstream media and, and in those kind of positions because we just don't see that enough. Yeah, I, I really loved that story and that appointment. I love that she brings really different experience to that kind of role. She has this real eclectic career and she's just kind of created it herself. Like her CV has all this awesome stuff on it that she has just done herself, really entrepreneurial, um, yeah. just creative. And now she has this amazing job and they are the kind of people that should be in those jobs, I think, is those those awesome creative types. So Yeah, and it made me realise how old I was today as well because I think a lot of our younger, um, you know, our younger colleagues at the Women's Agenda office follow her religiously already and I had not heard of her but now I am absolutely fangirling over her so I will be following her on Instagram too. But yes, yes it was a little bit of a rude shock to realise that I am possibly not as young as I think I am. Yes. Uh, well, you are truly ancient and it took you another couple of years to become an editor-in-chief, didn't it? So. <laughs> I know, that's very true. That's very true. No. Um, okay, so you also totally took my win, so I'm a little bit lost oh, now. Yeah. But that was my win as well because, like I said, I loved that story. I loved that appointment. I thought it was awesome. There were other appointments this week also. So, um, which have been really good to follow. Um, but I will mm. just uh, make a mention of one thing that did come out today, which is that the gender pay gap has dropped to 13.4% according to the latest ABS um, figures as analysed by the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. So they've just put that report out today. They also put out this week uh, their latest um, list of employers to receive kind of the stamp of approval for gender equality and there's a bunch of new employers on that list as well, which is good to see. Um, yeah. But in light of that, I don't know if I should call that a win and um, mm. I did hear this from one of our colleagues. It's like how it's a, there's a gender pay gap, but that's, <laughs> no. that's not a win. <laughs> that's yeah. just yeah. because and it gets slightly less. 6% drop. 
is yeah. uh, is nothing to really cheer about. Um, exactly. Even you know Libby Lyons, who's the the head of the director of um, Wajia, said you know that the the drop was actually mostly due to labour market volatility yep. during the pandemic and not a result of improved structural changes for women in the workforce. So that's yep. also something to note. Not to sound like a Debbie Downer, but there is just huge work to still be done um um there so exactly and it's very uh, possible that it could go up again particularly with so much market employment um volatility expected over Mm. the next 18 months or so so yeah that was a weird one slight drop not a win um uh, we we did have a piece today noting how that when it did go down to around 14 percent, i think it was at some point last year how a press release was issued um from a certain government minister saying that it was a win for women and it's like well once again not 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 really is it (laughs) a win for women women will be no gender pay gap Yes, yeah. one day, one day. Okay, so otherwise it's been, uh, like you said, and started the conversation with, it has been a tumultuous week. Um, oh. I guess one of the, uh, um, I don't know if I, what, what kind of moment I would call this, but um, was, was was Craig Kelly um, defecting from the, the, the Liberal Party, so defecting to go and sit on the crossbench mm-hmm. um, after being, uh, well, having his pre-selection proc propped up by two um, Liberal Prime Ministers. He was supported mm-hmm. by Scott Morrison. He was supported by Malcolm Turnbull. So he really took that support and ran with it and has decided to now go and sit on the crossbench. It's unlikely that he would have received the um, the pre-selection at the next for the, in the lead up to the next election. What yeah. do you what do you make of Craig Kelly, Tala? Do you do you oh, care? Goodness. Do we even need oh, to have that, this discussion? Oh, uh, look I mean, I don't have anything particularly favourable to say about Craig Kelly. I think he's an absolute dangerous maverick. And um, and I thought your piece this week was just such a corker because it is so true that he is just going to gain momentum, probably gain influence from from this decision to move to the crossbench. The only slight silver lining is that he can't be propped up by the Liberal Party anymore. Um, but he is just a man in it for himself, isn't he? He just really wants to get the airtime. He is not doing what is right by his constituents. Um, and he's, he's a real worry. And I think, you know, we can, you know, laugh it off at times and, and, um, and think that he is just like, you know, think that he doesn't have huge sway. But the reality is that he does. He's got such a, mm-hmm. a huge social media following. Um, and, and he is using that in a really, um, in a really destructive way, and and you know influencing really poor um, social, I guess, knowledge in the community. So yeah, I think it's it's a concern, um, but hopefully he does not retain views at the next election. But I guess we can only just watch this space. Um, nothing surprises me in politics anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, to put it all in context, I guess um, you talk about his social media following. He is he has got, I believe, the most engaged uh, Facebook account of any mm. political leader in the country. I think it's around that. At least he's in the top five or so. 
Um, He did just get banned from Facebook for a week, um, kind of like the rest of us, I guess. But uh, he did get banned (laughs) from Facebook for a very different reason to the rest of us. It was because of the misinformation regarding... um, uh, regarding COVID nineteen that he had shared on Facebook, so um, and that yeah. there is a, there is a fair bit of of that on his page. If you ever care to go and look at it, I had a good little mm. look at a few bits and pieces uh, the other day, and you, you actually don't find a huge amount. You do find the odd thing about his local elect- electorate area, but it, that it, no, that, there's yeah. a lot of there's mm. a lot of um, you know climate change denialism and, and um, rampant misinformation about COVID nineteen, which yeah. is just yeah, yeah, it's horrendous. Well, but I mean, he clearly has the medical, the environmental, the scientific qualifications <laughs> to to go and make these claims, doesn't he? Exactly. Mm. Exactly right. Yeah. No, his background is is definitely in that space. So, um, mm. you know, the ex furniture salesman to a to a medical professional. So everyone yeah. listening to Craig Kelly clearly knows what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So on to another one. Still on politics, and then I promise we'll leave politics. But on to another one because this was this has just happened overnight. So this involves uh, Peter Dutton. Um, mm-hmm. Entirely, you've written about this today, and I, I mean, I I really found this quite um, d- disappointing to see, particularly in this week when we've heard from um, some, some really from we've, we've just seen Brittany Higgins just being absolutely mm-hmm. courageous and amazing mm-hmm. and. Um, coming out and, and sharing the um, allegations of her that, that she was raped and on a couch in, in Parliament House, which yeah. to do that it yeah. must have taken so much. So what happened with, with Peter Dutton over the past uh, couple of days? Oh, look, this is absolutely reprehensible and um, and how he's not been condemned for this already is just beyond me. Um, but, you know, mere moments after Scott Morrison had called for greater culture, a greater culture of respect in Parliament during an IWD event yesterday, um, you know, Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton had, you know, straight away proved why words like that are just ring hollow in the government at the moment because he um, then revealed that he has uh, actually disclosed um, knowledge of, of Brittany Higgins' allegations to the Prime Minister's office um, and apparently that, that information had not been relayed to the Prime Minister, whether we believe that or not. Um, but when he was, uh, you know, giving a, a, a press conference about that, he said, you know, um, I wasn't provided with the she said, he said details of the allegation. It was at a higher level. I, mm. I guess when you unpack those connotations of that phrase, when anyone says he said, he said, she said, mm. um, it, it instantly casts doubt on what the allegations are. Um, and when we know that, Brittany Higgins, aside from anything else, you know, Brittany Higgins was absolutely intoxicated and she was brought back to Parliament House and, and her allegations are that she was raped in that office. Mm. Um, you know, the fact that he could be so glib about that mm. is ridiculous. You know, I think um, it, it also shows that he knew exactly what he was doing by by describing it in that way and and. He was effectively communicating his own doubt around those allegations and, you know, possibly even more despicably, he could have been communicating the position of the government in doing that. And I think, you know, no wonder young women in particular don't come forward on allegations like this. You you must, like, thinking about the strength and the bravery that it would have taken Brittany Higgins to come forward 
um, to speak about that trauma and then to have one of the government's most senior ministers, you know, describe it in that way um, and, and cast doubt on what she's saying, um, you know, it is, it's just horrible and he should feel deeply ashamed. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it also came, as you mentioned today in your piece, it came within hours, I think, of the Prime Minister addressing an International Women's Day event as well mm. and yep. um, making the comments that he did at that event, um, you know, talking about how there needs to be cultural change and we need to create these safe places and, like, to, to have it dismissed in that way so, so quickly within hours like do they not share any briefing notes and and like and was it a, no. an intentional thing to say like you said you know like was oh, it, yeah just like you know you just straight away know what he was getting at and um and I just I think there's zero excuse for that you know especially as you say when Scott Morrison's getting up on a podium and talking about respecting women protecting them and then reflecting on on actions in parliament mm. um you know, Peter Dutton flies in the face of that. Um, and also, I'd say as an ex-police officer, that kind of response is truly worrying as well. Yep, 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 absolutely, yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of International Women's Day, we are starting yep. to get a lot of uh, press releases and um, <laughs> a lot of stuff happening about trying to uh, promote certain women and do certain stories around this time as if we don't. Uh, do these sorts of stories uh, the rest of the time. But um, do you have any particular plans yet, Tala? We haven't actually spoken about this, but do you have plans? What would what do you foresee happening over the next couple of weeks? Nothing? Yeah, it's interesting actually. Well, I don't know. I think like I get that the world is kind of coming back to normal. Well, Australia is coming back to normal in terms of COVID, but it's still been such a strange time. And mm. I think, you know, these kind of in-person events that we're so used to around International Women's Day, they're, they're, um, they're far fewer uh, at the moment. But certainly from an editorial perspective, you know, we want to be um, looking at how we celebrate women, um, looking at specific features that we can put out around that time. And we've already got some, some really exciting things in place there. So encourage everyone to kind of keep an eye out over that week um but yeah look I think our mission is always to celebrate and share the stories of women every day um so while International Women's Day is in hot pursuit for a lot of people and they wanted um you know with the organizations really wanting to shine a light um around that period I would also gently suggest um that organizations do what they can to um, do that in a broader sense as well. You know, International Women's Day is one day, but we should be we should be sharing and celebrating these stories all the time um, because we know there is absolutely no shortage of phenomenal talent um, in this country and, and across the world. Exactly, exactly. So to celebrate it every day and also, I mean, I'll just encourage people when it comes to, to stories or when it comes to running events or whatever else it is that there are other times of year that you can do this when you don't have to sort of land in a really cluttered space like this and put all this pressure on people to try and attend things. It is going to be different this year, obviously, because we just don't have the options of those in-person events as in previous yeah. years. But I was starting to feel like... um. 
uh, <laughs> at least I, I don't feel like this way anymore, but when I was a bit younger, you know, when it comes to New Year's Eve or something, you start to feel like, oh, I've got, you, you kind of get a bit of anxiety about what your night is going to be like and what plans you have and what, <laughs> yeah. if, it, what if you're not feeling great that night and what if you don't have much to do. And I was like, you just don't <laughs> want to create an added pressure on 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 women around a day um so no. to, to find it make it there's other options that it doesn't all have to be about the traditional ways that this way day is celebrated and also not to put pressure on women to actually organize these things as well which i think was kind <laughs> yeah. of ending up happening in a lot of organizations is that you would have these working groups or these teams and they would be tasked with with organising these events and all of a sudden they're organising the events and they're not getting paid for this additional organising that they're doing and they're probably then inviting people to speak on things and they're not paying those speakers <laughs> and it just yeah. it just kind of goes on and on. So um, Yeah, we actually published a really great piece this week by Lacey Philippic um, mm. around, um, you know, organisations, if they, if they want to get really serious about celebrating and um, making a difference for women this International Women's Day, then remember to pay them um, if you're asking them to speak at events. And so that's, that's also uh, a really interesting and I think, you know, important mm. point to make. Yeah. And she wrote that from the perspective of being a, a business owner and an entrepreneur and being invited yes. by a really large organisation to um, do a keynote. I think it was a keynote presentation. It was a keynote, It wasn't to yeah. sit on a panel or anything. It was a keynote presentation. And she yeah. was told that, well, she'd get paid in exposure because all these people would would, would, would watch it. But, um, yeah. but then I found yeah. it interesting how even when she went and asked, um, that they, they couldn't find the, the budget for it then. Okay. I know, I know. Mm. It's shocking, yeah. And um, and you wonder how many big corporates are actually, uh, you know, conducting themselves in that way, um, which is, I think, yeah, look, really problematic when you are asking someone to speak, um, especially in a keynote format, on, on what their expertise is. Um, and she made a really good point, you know, as a small business, um, you don't get paid until, you know, you deliver services and then, people pay that that invoice and um there's no guarantee if cash flow dries up then mm. you know there's nothing you can do so it is just so important especially for any organization that is looking to you know um i guess leverage uh the expertise of, of female small business owners to really make sure that they are doing the right thing and, and um, paying those businesses accordingly yeah 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 okay so I want to end on something completely different um, because you have been, well, we have been, we have a new health publication called uh, Women's Health News and it's, um, it's, it's growing. It's kind of, we've just launched in the last few months. We put out a newsletter every Thursday. So it means that we're doing a lot more content in the health space. And so I just wanted to ask about a couple of things because you're editing that publication as well. Mm -hmm. um, and you've had some, there's been some really interesting research and studies that have We've, we've written about in the last few days, particularly the uh, nasal spray, which I thought <laughs> yeah. was um, yep. interesting. Um, but um, mm -hmm. a lot more than that as well. Did you want to take us through any of those key features? For instance, the really in good one that we published last week. Yeah, look, it's really, um, it's it's really, really exciting to yeah. be publishing Women's Health News and, um, and hopefully we can just keep, you know, sharing uh, really quality content and, um, and making sure that, women are equipped with with the right information around their health and well-being yeah yeah um the the piece i did want to get to and um, i'm glad that you brought up the the 
obviously a story around alcoholism because it was really powerful and it was quite relatable. There was there were certain mm. little pieces in that you, that you see that you might see reflected in, in yourself or reflected in things mm. that, that of how um, you've behaved or whatever it was in, in, in recent years and, and how children can exacerbate that or, or change that. Um, mm. I want to touch on, because I, I thought this is just a really good one to raise as well from um, which Ali uh, Pasco raised last week regarding normalising mental health days because as she made the point in her piece that like she could count, she could, she could count, the number of sick days she's yeah. had in her working life because it was actually zero. And I relate to yeah. that a lot because, I mean, I can, I have actually taken sick days, but when I have taken sick days, I mean, I remember those sick days because I was in bed with a flu and the yeah. amount of times that I still went to work, um, you know, just with uh, you know, minor illness symptoms, but the amount of times also I went to work when I wasn't feeling mentally well and that's what she was uh, looking at, like how how it's 2021 and we still haven't normalised this idea of taking a mental health day and I think it's even more important in our current working arrangements, especially with these working arrangements that will likely continue in some kind of form, potentially in a hybrid form into the future. Yeah. You know, half working from home, potentially half working from office or whatever it is. I feel that we're going to be taking these days less and less to manage our mental health because if we do have those off days, we may just end up still working but just working from home instead when that may not actually be the the ideal thing to to, – to do or that may not be helpful at all it might be helpful either to take the day off or it might actually be helpful to to be in an office and being around other people yeah yeah and i think that's exactly right you know flexibility um has has so many benefits and uh you know this this new kind of normal that we've entered into um in terms of work uh you know there, there are a lot of highlights there but one of the, the definite lowlights is the fact that if we're working from home um women in particular who are already trying to juggle 300 things at any given time are so likely um to put their own health on the back burner and um and just say look I'm at home I'm working from home it'll be okay I can just power through this even when I'm feeling like shit and it's Mm. um and I think that's really problematic because I think as Ali kind of highlighted in that piece it is it is more crucial than ever for people to protect their their mental well-being and we know as I said before that anxiety and and burnout and depression are um, escalating in this this country and and particularly um, you know there's huge rates in in women so we do need to do everything that we can to protect that but I think it's still you know hugely stigmatized um, in this this country, you know, um, mm. you know, I've even been watching my my partner, and he's been um, dealing with a, a few mental health issues, and he's been feeling a bit blue lately. And um, and he, you know, is really reluctant to take any time off work because he doesn't know how to properly communicate that to his employer. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just think that we need to get better at realizing that any kind of mental health issue. Um, are real illnesses um, they're not you know they're not confected ones um, they are just as real as if you have uh, gastro or anything uh, even more serious final point on that I mean Ali um, points out some 
examples of CEOs who have been kind of hailed as heroes because they've been congratulated either for giving a staff member a mental health day or perhaps taking openly taking such health days themselves and and that mm. kind of thing. But so she ends on the note that, you know, the hope is that one day taking a mental health break won't be a courageous act or a shameful secret. It should be as easy as calling in sick with the flu because you don't want to cough all over your colleagues. That's how virus yeah. spreads. So, you know, in yeah. 2021, it's time to really cancel that stigma. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Tyler, it has been fun. <laughs> Thank you very much. It has, as always. Um, so we'll chat next week. <laughs> Yeah, maybe in the next five minutes. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder, this is produced by Agenda Media and all the stories that we cover on the podcast you can find in some shape or form on our website. Thank you. Thank you.